you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Susan Rosen. There have been some longer podcasts I've posted over the past month or more, so I thought it'd be fun to tell you all about some of the bite-sized pieces of health info I found these past few weeks and make a little shorter podcast. I also was having a hard time trying to find something that I really wanted to talk about this week. But since I had read a few smaller ones, I thought, well, let's just put all those together. And as I said, make a smaller, shorter podcast overall instead. So just for a change of pace, here we go. First off, I saw an interesting article about chemotherapy for breast cancer, which we all know they've been using that for 20 years or more. And for a long time after it was introduced, it was used rather indiscriminately because there weren't really any good diagnostic tools that could help the doctors to identify who would get the biggest benefit from the chemo and who it either didn't help or actually would hurt. And chemotherapy can hurt if you do not have the right kind of cancer because it not only kills cancer cells, it also kills healthy cells along with it. It also has a lot of side effects, damaging the heart, lungs, nerves, and kidneys, as well as weakening a person's immune system. So just hitting everything with a hammer just because it might look a little bit like a nail doesn't always do the job. And after many decades of using chemo for almost all early stage breast cancer cases, it seems that now there are some more specific tests that were created to diagnose and predict who will be able to benefit from the chemo and who won't. And in addition, new medications have also been developed for some of these types of cancers, breast cancer, where they had been using chemo. So they don't need the chemo anymore. They've got better, more targeted medications for those types of breast cancer. So all of this, to my way of thinking, is that it's awfully good news for all of those women who develop breast cancer at any age. Okay, next. I also read about a study published in American Psychologist where they looked at COVID-19's effect on loneliness in people of all ages. And the researchers were expecting loneliness to increase because of the shelter in place and the social distancing orders. But what they found was that there was very little, if any, increase in loneliness in the people that they were looking at. The people who participated in the study reported that they felt more support from others than they had prior to COVID, along with a sense of community because everyone was going through the same challenges. And the researchers described this 
sense of support as an increase in resilience across all age groups. People also said that their family members, friends, and neighbors were making more of an effort to connect and reach out to people who were alone. And some people who lived alone and others with chronic conditions said that they had felt lonelier at the beginning, but it didn't get worse as time went on as one would have expected. And what the study did find was that although there were no significant changes in older adults' feelings of loneliness, there were some transient feelings of loneliness in younger people who didn't have their usual social activities, which as we all know, that has become even more important, I think, in the last few years. What we all need to learn from this study is how important it is for all of us to continue to reach out to those around us, our family, our friends, and our neighbors. And we'll all feel better when we do. And that, of course, includes us as well, because we all know that giving and receiving are both important. Okay, the next study that I found had to do with gender and Alzheimer's. This was published in the Journal of Neurology, or excuse me, the journal, and the name of the journal is Neurology. And it's a study comparing men and women's brains using PET scans, that's P-E-T, P as in Paul. They were specifically looking to see why more women than men develop Alzheimer's. And the accepted reasoning for years has said that since women live longer, that's why there are more instances of Alzheimer's in women. Well, this study came out, came up with a totally different um, reason for why more women were getting it. It started with 85 women and 36 men of an average age of 52. No one had any cognitive impairment and they all had similar scores on memory and thinking skills tests. The PET scans were used to examine four key areas of brain health amounts of gray matter and white matter, the levels of amyloid beta plaques, and the brain activity levels using the rate at which the brain metabolizes glucose to represent the brain activity level. So the results of the tests were that the women on average had 22% lower glucose metabolism than the men and 30% more amyloid beta plaques in their brains. That's incredible. Let me read that again. The women on average had 22% lower glucose metabolism, that means brain activity, than the men, and 30% more amyloid beta plaques in their brains already at this point. The researchers suggested that the differences are related to menopausal status and especially estrogen loss and that it may be the best predictor of Alzheimer's-related brain changes in women, and that this is true even before any obvious signs of memory or cognitive decline appear. Well, what can I say? The hormones strike again. They seem to be the cause of so many good and bad things in our lives, and I guess we'll just have to go along with this. Unfortunately, the researchers did not put out any suggestions on what we could do about evening this up. We'll have to see what comes up next. Okay, on to my next item, which has to do with back pain and how to reduce it 
primarily with exercise. And this is a subject that I've mentioned and talked about a number of times over the last year. So you probably aren't going to be real surprised with what I am talking about again in this one. So there was a review of a number of randomized and non-randomized studies that were published in the journal Holistic Nursing Practice. And the studies had a total of 3,484 subjects. They were aged 33 to 73. So they really got, got the whole broad spectrum. And they compared yoga, tai chi, and qigong, finding them all to be effective in reducing pain, psychological distress, pain-related disability, and, imp- and had improved functional ability. In particular, two of the studies looked at the effects of yoga on veterans who, as a whole experience, more chronic low back pain than the general population. So the lead author of the review, an associate professor at Florida Atlantic University, summarized that these three modalities could be used instead of pain medications, surgery, or treatments like nerve blocks, all of which have been found to have adverse effects when used to treat lower back pain. So this is another example of the efficacy of using exercise and specifically yoga, qigong, and tai chi to help with joint balance and even mindset issues. All of which, as I say, I have talked about because we have seen that there have been a number of other studies that have looked at this having to do with specific um, physical issues, especially that those of us over over 50 are having. On another subject, lately there have been more and more study studies coming out with evidence about how soy foods are good for your heart. And this information, this particular one, comes from an observational study, which means that the study participants reported on, report on their normal behavior and, and what they did as opposed to specifically following a protocol set up and run by the study's creators. This particular study was published in the journal Circulation, And it analyzed data over 30 years from more than 200,000 people. What they found after running the data was that those people whose diets had the most isoflavones, which are plant compounds in soy that they kind of weakly mimic estrogen, were less likely to have a heart attack or die from coronary heart disease than those who ate the least. They also found that eating one serving or more per week of tofu as compared to once a month or less was linked to a lower risk of heart attack or heart disease death. The study only found this evidence with the tofu and not with soy milk. They think that the difference may be that there are other ingredients that are sometimes included in soy milk as opposed to tofu And I would also think probably because the soy milk has been broken down even more than it is in the tofu. So finding more positive information about soy and tofu in particular is really good news because it tastes so good, first off, and it has other helpful compounds for women in particular that help with our hormones. And it was really irritating to have to back off on some of those things 
during that time period where all of a sudden soy became the um, devil's food kind of. So, okay, that's the end of my little list. Um, I hope you all found at least a couple of things, if not all of these items to be valuable. There's always so much new research that's being done in so many important areas, and we really can't all profit from learning about them. The problem is that finding them and hearing about them, other than sometimes when the uh, the journalists, the newspapers, will grab hold of something and and they get it all twisted around and, well, you know how that is. As usual, I will tell you that I am not a doctor. This should not, all of this that we talked about today should not be considered medical advice. If you're thinking about using any of this information and have any questions specific to your personal situation, ask your personal physician. And if you have any kind of emergency, needless to say, be sure to go to your local emergency room right away. Just to let you know, I have more interviews coming up in the next few weeks with some other interesting people. And you can look forward to that, as I know I am. And my other news is that I have been continuing with my transformational coach training. And I am starting to offer some pro bono, better known as free, sessions in order to gain some additional experience during this time while I'm doing the training. So if you're interested in learning more about what I'm doing or in having a session, please reach out and contact me at my email, susan at healthytipsafter50.com or susan at susanrosen.com. It doesn't matter which one. And we can have a conversation about it. And if you're interested, then get your session on the calendar. Um, if not, I'm, I will keep you all apprised of how I'm doing in this new venture and, um, we'll have to see where it goes. I am looking forward to talking to all of you next week when I will have another interview. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit healthytipsafter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.